pray. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for the guys at the other campus and thank you for the people that you have brought there today. Thank you for those that you have brought in here today. Thank you for this body. Thank you for the work you're doing among the nations from Roman Floyd County and among the dark corners of Roman Floyd County. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is yours. It belongs to you. It's empowered by you. It is not a result of our wisdom or our strength it is by your spirit not by my not by power but by the spirit says the lord and so lord we bow before you today and we give praise and thanks because you do all things well and so we thank you today lord i pray that right now holy spirit would do his work of counseling teaching opening eyes regenerating all in his mission may that happen this morning We submit to you, Holy Spirit, and pray you would teach and instruct, accomplish all good things to bring us further under the rule of Jesus Christ today for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Acts 2, 1 to 13, snappy little title uh, at the top of the notes as you uh, see it there if you're following along on the blog. The promise realized and the curse reversed. When we look at our passage today in Acts 2, 1 to 13, We're going to see uh, the promised Holy Spirit sent, as Jesus said He would do, as they waited obediently for Him to do what He promised. What we're going to see in this passage are some amazing, amazing connections to the Old Testament. And we're going to see the clear reversal of the curse. And we're going to see Jesus do what He promised to do by making Himself known in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if we skipped over some of these seeming small things, we would miss the continuity between the Testaments. If you remember when we studied on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, Luke 24, Jesus taught them how to read the Old Testament. And so we want to draw out some of those beautiful connections, fulfillments, And fixing from the curse so that our hearts are encouraged by the good grace of God. And so that we're given clear mission to go and obey Jesus. So we're going to see in our text today that at Pentecost the promise is realized and the curse is reversed. Now you remember we're looking through Acts with the basic outline of how to study your Bible. So if you're first Sunday with us, you're like, geez, this is kind of a funny little basic outline. It's because we're asking three important, three, three important questions that are key in the process of studying your Bible. What do you see? What does it mean? How do we apply it? So we're asking, what do we see? What does it mean? What do I do with it? So that you, we, as your pastors, and, and as you here this morning, can learn how to study your Bible by asking those basic questions. What do I see? Observe it. What does it mean? And now what do I do with it? And so hopefully, as you're listening and looking along, it's also coaching you into being a good reader of your Bible so that you can practice the priesthood of the believer, hearing the Lord and His Word and going and obey Him. Okay, is that cool? You guys good with that? All right, here we go. Observation number one. What do we see? Here's what we see in our first observation in verse 1, 5, 6, and 8 through 11. God, in His good grace, listen to this carefully, providentially planned acts to... Long ago, with and for strategic effect. Okay? I'll say that again. God providentially planned Acts 2 long ago with and for strategic effect. 
Now, we're going to take time to do this because, as I've noticed, the shorter my notes get in front of my face, the longer I preach, which is the opposite effect I'm trying to have. Sorry. So if we went and read this, we would be here a lot longer than I intend for you to be. But Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9 to 22, the Lord institutes the Feast of first fruits and the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks is also known as the Feast of Pentecost. Now what's fun is that in this feast, the Lord commanded the people to come from all over where they were scattered, wherever they made their homes, and they were to come and bring the very first fruit out of the ground that harvest year. Now that's kind of interesting because, I don't know about you, but if I'm in an agricultural context and I'm dependent on the ground to provide me food, the first food that comes out of the ground, that's a big sacrifice to go hand that off, isn't it? And the Lord said, you bring it to me. And it was an act of trust that the Lord who made it come out of the ground in the first place would continue to provide for them. And so they were to come from wherever they were scattered and bring the very first part of the harvest and give it to the Lord. But the key here is they were to bring it from wherever they found themselves scattered. What's interesting here is the Lord Jesus... Now, if you go back and, and, and you listen online and you, you read chapter 1, you will discover that the Lord intentionally sent them to wait for Him after His 40-day ministry to wait 10 more days so that He would pour out the Spirit on the beginning of the Feast of Pentecost. In other words, Jesus did that on purpose. Well, things to keep in mind. Number one, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Remember that? Jesus is God. He's the God of the Old Testament. He is the one who promised to break the curse. So when Jesus came and He took on flesh, He didn't come into existence. He always has been. Colossians tells us He's the Creator, the Sustainer of all things. So Jesus comes, He takes on flesh. He is rejected by men. And He dies in our place for our sin and rises for our salvation. So that if we repent of the rebellion and believe on Him, He will put a new heart in us, give us His Spirit, make us alive, and adopt us as sons and daughters. Jesus instituted the Feast of Pentecost and chose to send the Spirit on Pentecost for and with strategic effect. Well, why in the world would that be? Well, he said in verse 8 of chapter 1, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth, right? What's happening at Pentecost? Some crazy things. People are gathered in Jerusalem because Leviticus 23 said, wherever you are, come here. Now, another crazy thing happened in your Old Testament. If you read the prophets, you'll discover this little thing called the Babylonian conquest. I know you didn't sign up this morning for an Old Testament history class, but it's pretty important. Because the Babylonian conquest, because their disobedience, is also not non-strategic. It is on purpose. You see, Israel's purpose, and if you go to the missions conference at Snowbird this next weekend where I'll be preaching on God being a missionary God, you'll discover God had a purpose for Abraham. And Abraham's purpose was that this good news may be known among all nations. The gospel is intended from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. The good news of who this God is is intended to rule all of creation. He calls Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless you and make you a great people. And in you, all these families of the earth that he just scattered in Genesis 11 from Babel are going to be blessed through the knowledge of who I am. 
Well, they don't obey. And they isolate. And they keep it to themselves. And they worship idols. They create God in their own image. And God, being rich in mercy, sends these ungodly Babylonians to wipe out the idolatry. And they carry God's people captive back to a bunch of other places. This is strategic. Because these people from all these other places who've now picked up another language are in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Do you feel the strategery? You feel it? Because they're not going to stay in Jerusalem. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to return home. And guess what they're going to have? The good news. And transformed hearts. And Acts 1.8 will be effective. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends the earth. Why? Because that's what I planned in Leviticus 23 long ago. Long ago. God providentially planned Acts 2 long ago with and strategic effect. And this is just an example of how, as we're reading through our Old Testament, this is why in a little Bible reading plan, you read them both together. You know, there's a little plan that's on our website. You can go look and it's a little Bible reading plan you can download. It gives you an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a Psalm every day. As you're reading these, you go, wait a second, I just read, hey, and you draw the connection and you realize, geez, man, this is, this, he did that. He did that. God probably providentially planned Acts too long ago with and for strategic effect. The disciples only needed to discover what he had already begun as they had obeyed and went. They had no clue what was coming in chapter 2 other than the Holy Spirit is promised and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. They had no clue what was about to take place. They were just hearing and obeying. At this amazing sound which apparently is heard all over the city because the people rush together to the upper room, they are going to hear the good news. And you will see that next week. So what does this mean? What does it mean? It means, as the Lord would cause the harvest of the ground to come about, He would likewise bring about a harvest of 3,000 souls at the preaching of the gospel at Pentecost. He was the one who caused them to have th- have stuff come out of the ground and grow so they could eat. He likewise would be the one who would cause the growth of a people on the feast that He gave them so many years ago. The God who gives food is the God who also saves people from all nations. It also means that the people were to come from their homes to the place the Lord appointed. So the Lord picked a day in which the people would come from all nations and be present to hear the good news. It means the Lord scattered His people at the Babylonian conquest on purpose so that they would have to make homes and come and worship yearly so that the gospel would be taken to all nations. It means that by obeying the law, stew on this one for a second, people from all over the world will be gathered to hear the good news. They were just obeying Leviticus 23. Just obeying what they knew. And what happened? The Lord did marvelous things. Remember I said this last week? Nothing bad ever comes from obeying the Lord. Obedience presupposes good. Disobedience presupposes distrust. And to obey the Lord is to believe He's got good for me. If I give 
the first portion of my grain harvest in which my family and I have to eat and make money to live, He will bring more. So I will gladly give it up. This is why the Bible teaches giving, right? Giving is not, is not there for us to suppose that we are to control it. Giving is there because it's God's. It's all of His. And I give recognizing that He will give more. This is why the Christian should be the most generous person on the face of the planet. It's because God has given to us. We give to Him. The problem isn't God giving. The problem is our misappropriation of what's His. So by simply obeying, God did good to them. Isn't that awesome? Just obeying what they know. And by the way, you don't have to know everything. Just obey what you know. And the more you learn as you read the manual, the more the Lord teaches you, obey what He says. They were just simply obeying. We're transformed by the gospel. It means God ordained this moment to have all those transplants hear the good news of the kingdom and their now adopted language so they could go home and make it known. Listen to this. When we sacrifice the good sovereignty of God, For the fragile and fallen sovereignty of man, there is no certainty and hope. It is left to good luck and positive thinking. And this was not luck and the result of positive thinking. This is God ordaining human history. And my people obey me and step into the stream of obeying me. They will receive nothing but good. God providentially planned Leviticus 23 and Pentecost long ago. And by simply obeying, they stepped into the stream of the supernatural work of the gospel. And God transformed peoples and in one moment pulled off Acts 1.8. That's awesome. That's our God. By the way, that's how He works your life. That's how He weaves together your days. What do we do with that? Well, we're to take heart that Father is good. And He is working out all things providentially with strategic precision. There is no detail that He hasn't ordained or brought together for His glory and your good. You can take great rest in that. You can take great rest in that. By the way, that's why the Christian doesn't have to be bitter. That's why the Christian doesn't have to be left hurting in a pile of rubble. Because God is overseeing every piece of your day. And it is for your good and His glory. And we can bend the knee in peace knowing He is ruling me well. He does. Observation 2. What do we see? Verse 2. Holy Spirit is sent as a rushing wind to empower and mobilize the kingdom of people. Listen to verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Holy Spirit is sent as a rushing wind to empower and mobilize a kingdom. A kingdom of people. This is a quick little uh, translation of verse 2. From A.T. Robertson. uh, Word pictures in the New Testament. Nerdy stuff. It was an echoing sound as of a mighty wind borne violently. Holy Spirit is sent as a powerful rushing wind to empower and mobilize a kingdom of people. He is sent in no private manner. 
it's vital that we understand this. Holy Spirit is not sent in a private setting. He is sent with a violent, a mighty, rushing, echoing sound of wind. A.T. Robertson adds a note here in his little, his little grammatical work of the New Testament, or rushing along like the whir of a tornado. That's huge. A few little connections for you here, or a connection, not a few, a connection for you here. Can you think of anything that happens in the book of Ezekiel 37 where the Spirit blows in like a mighty wind over something cool? You may know what happens. There's a little child song about it. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, right? The valley of dry bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. What happens? God has promised that He is going to save a people for His great namesake. And He says, Ezekiel, I want you to look and tell me what do you see. Ezekiel looks and I see a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel, speak to those dry bones and tell them to live. Whoa. So he obeys, and what happens? These bones in this kind of weird scene stand up and come together all in the right place, and there's a skeleton army. Prophesy to the bones, Ezekiel, and sinews and flesh come on the bones. He says, can these live? Oh, Lord, you know, prophesy to them and tell the wind, the Spirit to come. He prophesied and Spirit comes and He makes them alive, a mighty army. And verse 14 says this, and I will put my Spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. You may see anything happening here in Acts 2 that smells like Ezekiel 37. Yeah. Holy Spirit is sent and He raises an army of 3,000 just like that. Holy Spirit is sent in a very public manner bringing to life dead people. That's awesome. What does it mean? Well, it means a couple things. Number one, it means God does His work in the public square. Verse 5 lets us know it was public because it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout devout, uh, men from every nation under heaven. And then verse 6 says, At this sound, what sound? The sound of this violent wind borne mightily. They came running together. This is such a strong wind that people gathered all over the city hear it and they come running to see what has just happened. Holy Spirit's work is always public. The Christian is to work in the public square. The supernatural work of God isn't born simply for the private study alone at your house or in your fun place. Holy Spirit does supernatural work that you might be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That we might be people who carry the good news of the kingdom. God works publicly. Second thing this means for us is that With Pentecost, we see that God keeps His word to His people. He told Ezekiel what He was going to do. He kept His word. He did it. It also means that Holy Spirit can resurrect spiritually bankrupt people and give them new life. He showed Ezekiel this valley of dry bones. Can these live? Lord, only you know. You look at humanity and all its lostness. You look at all the devastating and awful things that happen. Lord, can these live? Oh, yeah. Not only can they, they will. Because I will raise my army from all nations. 
We see that the Lord can resurrect spiritually bankrupt people and give them new life. That's what the gospel does. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation everyone who believes. What do we do with this? Well, we're to work in the public square. We're to work in our domains. This is why we don't do programs. People come to our church and they're kind of sometimes confused. Like, where are the programs I can get involved in? We don't do programs. We teach domain engagement. That's this. This is how the Great Commission happens. Effectively, efficiently, is all believers engaging their domains with the gospel, making disciples. That's cheap and efficient and global, while at the same time being local. It's how it happened in Acts. Otherwise, and it's hard for me not to jump on the missions conference already, because it's already, I'm ready. I was studying for this and kept defaulting to, in my thinking, in my mind, talking about Great Commission, so much of who we are. This is why Matthew 28, 16-20 is not just for a few spiritually elite. There's nothing in that text that indicates this is for a few people who are, quote, called. That's our language, not God's. The Great Commission is everyone's. How do we do that? Domain engagement. Engage your domain. And your domains are local. There is nowhere accounting isn't needed on the face of this planet. So not only can you do accounting, you can do it here and you can do it somewhere else where the gospel's never been. And make disciples while you're there and get paid to do it. Dub? Amen. Accounting professor. There's nowhere on the face of this planet airplanes aren't needed. When we fly into the places we'll be flying into all spring and all summer, somebody got to make sure they stay in the air, otherwise I'm not getting on it. You don't need a Bible degree for that. You need to know how to work on them and fly them. And you know what? You can do that all over the world and get paid to do it and make disciples while doing it. Domain engagement. So whatever you are, work in the public square, engage your domain, the expertise God has given you, use it, make a living, and make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And you will be doing Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And cool thing is, you can have global opportunity if you want it. It's just there. God does His work in the public square. Therefore, we are to be working in the public square. One of my favorite things about what happens at our church is there are people who will read this already today. Because I posted this yesterday. Who read this stuff in Saudi, in Malaysia, and in Indonesia because of this. And so not only do I have to be careful, they listen online. And we don't hide the fact that we're Christians. That's the last thing you need to do. Number one, A, they assume it you got to work on that, because that's a bad assumption. But they assume it. So when you cover it up, it looks like you lack integrity. So we just simply do our jobs, be clear about Jesus, and watch Holy Spirit make disciples. Because that's what He does. And then the whole church gets to engage in the Great Commission. The great question we ask, what if the whole church were the missionary? That has far-reaching implications because you are. Right? So Holy Spirit does His work in public. Likewise, we do our work in public. We don't hide the fact that we're Christians. We just do public good work. Preach the gospel. Let Jesus make disciples. Let Him build His church.
What does it mean? It also means with Pentecost, we see that God keeps His word to His people. He did what He told Ezekiel He will do. Listen, dear Christian, God will do what He promised you He'll do. If it's written in the manual, if Spirit has spoken it clearly, you can trust it, take it to the bank, rest, sleep well. There's an old statement, I like it. Sleep like a Calvinist, preach like an Arminian. Glory. Third, Holy Spirit can resurrect spiritually bankrupt people and give them new life. Therefore, therefore, preach the gospel, y'all. The gospel's powerful. We don't hold that back. We don't hide that. We don't hold that back. We don't hide that. Observation number three. What do we see? Verse three. Holy Spirit comes as fire sent to empower a kingdom of people. Listen to verse three. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Fire has always been associated as a symbol of the divine presence. And I give you a couple of references here. Exodus 3.2, Deuteronomy 5.4. No symbol could be more fitting to express the Spirit's purifying energy and refining power than fire. Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and... Fire. Exodus nineteen eighteen. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Exodus twenty four seventeen. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. The Lord manifested the presence of the Spirit with fire. Why? Because these little Jewish boys recognize fire as a presence, as the presence of God. And He supernaturally caused little tongues of fire, little wisps of fire to appear over their heads. And they saw and recognized God is present. So what does this mean? Fire accompanies the presence of the Lord as a visible witness to His presence. Therefore, God is giving witness to His presence in a way they completely understood. Number two, what does it mean? The God of the Bible, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has come to remain on and in His people. And Father has made His presence known. And third, the transition between the Old Covenant and New Covenant has taken place and Spirit is now here to stay. So what do we do with this? This is fun stuff and I'm going to really try not to get hung up on it and hang out here because I could spend the rest of the time here. What do we do with this? Number one, we're to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit and recognize His presence. Alright? We are to welcome Holy Spirit and recognize His presence. This is where we could get hung up. John 14, 15, and 16. All three chapters. Jesus tells us what Holy Spirit's job is. He is Father and Son's presence with us. So when you get Holy Spirit, when He saves you and takes up residence in you, you've got the Trinitarian God of the universe dwelling in you. Father, Son, and Spirit present with you. Jesus tells us He is Counselor. He is our Parakletos, the Counselor, the one who counsels. You need to know something. This is why, remember looking back last week, they cast lots because they, they trusted Proverbs uh, 1633, right? Because right? the Lord makes the dice land. We don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because we have the counselor in us who will tell us what to do. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. If you can't hear him, 
and you're a believer, it's because you're not listening. And the noise is too loud. This is why the Bible teaches us things like fasting and prayer and silence and solitude. None of which our generation nor this culture likes. The last thing anybody in this room wants to do is go without eating. And I don't mean cheap fasting. I mean, I'm not eating meat for a month. I mean, I mean Jesus, John the Baptist kind of fasting, water only. I'm not talking about a juice diet. I'm talking about water only. Getting yourself in a position where the supernatural is so evident because the physical is so weak. The Bible teaches fasting. That's weird for us. We don't want to talk about it. But it teaches it and assumes we participate in it. Because Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. Do it like this. Nobody needs to know. So we don't need to do it publicly. We don't need to call for a 40-day. Hey, everybody in the room fasting and we all know it because you look miserable. Jesus said... Fast so that the God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Wash your face, put on clean clothes, make sure you look normal so that nobody knows what you're doing. Are you willing to be thought of as unspiritual so that God sees rather than men? If you fast like Jesus taught us to, nobody will know but Jesus. And everybody else thinks you may be unspiritual. That person will never do nothing. Pagan. When in... In fact, you're just more interested in Jesus seeing than anybody else. Jesus said, that I will reward openly. He's counselor. He will talk to us. Remember, I told you I'm not rescuing us from anything in this book. He will talk to you. He will speak to you. The question isn't, will he? The question is, can you hear? He's helper. Jesus taught us he's our helper. Jesus taught us he reminds us of everything he himself had said. So he is the one who reminds you. Ever been in that moment and scripture came to mind? That's Holy Spirit. It's not because you're sharp. Do not think highly of thyself lest thee fall. I think that's how you use those words, right? Pride cometh before a fall. I don't use, I use ESV. I don't speak. I just, you know what I'm saying. Point is, it's not because you're sharp. It's because the Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus said He would do. He reminds you of what He said. He is the empowerer of supernatural ministry. Remember Jesus said, because I go to the Father, you will do the things I do and you'll do even greater things than I do. That's Jesus saying, your ministry will be greater than His. Why? Because He will come and dwell with you and in you and empower you and give you everything you need, including, as we'll see in a minute, the ability to speak in a language you have previously not known so that others can hear the gospel in their language. And he still does that. He's the empowerer of supernatural ministry. He is guide to truth. He will guide us into truth. He is convincer, convictor of sin and righteousness and judgment. When you do something you're used to doing your whole life and all of a sudden you get bothered by it because it's sin and you know it and you've justified it forever and now all of a sudden it bothers you, that's Holy Spirit going, stop it. That's the good counselor. That's why my favorite method of counseling is tell people to stop it. Because what Holy Spirit does, I'm justifying being a terrible counselor. I'm just <laughs> He's the convictor of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is God's presence with us. So we are to welcome Holy Spirit, right? And recognize His presence among us. What do we do with this? Number two, we are to not run from, but run to all of the Holy Spirit we can handle. Paul tells us in Galatians what the fruit of the Spirit is, and he said, against such things there is no law. In other words, indulge in all that you can handle. Eat till your heart's content. Indulge in as much Holy Spirit as you can absolutely handle. 
We are to live in constant awareness of His presence and His person. We're to live in constant awareness of His presence and His person. Make it a goal this week to be aware of Holy Spirit's presence every moment of the day. That's a high order. I get it. I get it. I get it. Because everything is vying for our attention. There's something constantly bombarding and looking for our attention. Right? Always. Right now even. You're getting texts. You're getting all kinds of emails popping up on your phone. And everything is vying for your attention. Fight to pay attention to Holy Spirit. Try silence and solitude. Take an hour a day. Get quiet. Get alone. Close your eyes and just sit and just wait for your mind to wind down for a few minutes. Right? You ever try that? Try to get quiet and you're talking to yourself for 45 minutes and you're running through the list of things you need to do? That's noise. That's noise. you got to get rid of the noise and it takes time. It just does. It's just part of walking with Jesus. It takes time. Right? As I was saying, you're never going to get stronger unless you put weight on the bar. Right? As long as you're happy with power cleaning 95 pounds, you just stay on 95 pounds. You got to start sliding 25s on and 35s and, you know, just go at it till you can do it. You're not going to get quiet and listen till you practice getting quiet and listening. It takes practice. Final thing we're to do with this is we're to relate to the Spirit as person, not thing. One of the greatest errors in the faith is to call Holy Spirit it, not He. He is not a thing. He is He. He is person. I don't know to hear any three of us person referring to Holy Spirit as it. Jesus said He will come to you. You know why this is important? Because we don't relate to its. We relate to persons, right? Holy Spirit is a person to whom you are to relate relationally. Does that make sense? So the very second we start treating Him like a totem pole and it, we may get the silence of a totem pole. He is not an it. He is He. So therefore, listen to Him. Speak to Him. And submit to Him as authority. Okay? Observation number four. What do we see? Well, we see verse four. Interestingly enough, I just noticed that. that observation four is in verse four. I don't know how I missed that, but that's kind of cool. Observation four. What do we see? Pentecost reverses Babel. Pentecost reverses Babel. This is fun. This is fun. This is fun. This is fun. I have a PowerPoint that I'm not doing this morning. It's called God's Missionary God. And we study Abraham a little bit. Something really cool happens in Genesis chapter 11, right? You familiar with the story? The Tower of Babel. One of the problems with that story is we're often taught that the problem is, it's just a misunderstanding, so I want to clear it up now. The reason that God is unhappy is because they're trying to build tall buildings to reach Him up in the heavens. That's not the problem. The heavens are considered by the people who wrote Scripture, to be the air, the higher air, and then the supernatural realm. The heavens, let me translate, they're trying to build really tall buildings. Why are they trying to build really tall buildings? Just get your Bible and turn and everything. This guy's making stuff up. I promise you. Genesis chapter 11. Why are they trying to build tall buildings? It's not to reach God. Listen carefully. Verse 4. 
By the way, let's back up. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. This is not in the notes. This is free. Pre-fall, right? Fall hadn't happened. No sin. What did God tell Adam and Eve their job is? Fill the earth and subdue it. And when we talk about this, we talk about domains of society, right? And we talk about our DNA. Pre-fall, Adam and Eve's job was to fill the whole earth and subdue it. That's God's job. The garden was not where they were to hang out. It was home base. Mission, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? That's God's mandate. Pre-fall. Got it? Ready? Fall happens. Genesis 3. All things break. All things break. Listen to verse 4 carefully. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Tall buildings. Why, comma, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What is that? Rebellion. Their job is not to make a name for themselves. Their job is not to stay on that plane. Their job is to fill the earth and subdue it and make the name of the Lord great. What are they doing at Babel? Rebelling. What does the Lord do? Confuses their language. And what happens after He confuses their language? Dispersed where? Over the face of the earth. You won't obey me? I'll make you obey me. And then, that's not the end of the story though. This is where Abraham's important. Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham and says, Abraham, this really great thing, we're going to make you a great nation. And you know what I'm going to do? All these families that I just scattered, I'm going to bless them with the knowledge of who I am through you. Abraham's mission is to make Jesus big among all the nations he just scattered as they seek to subdue the earth. At Pentecost, Jesus breaks the curse and reverses Babel. Because what does He do? He now enables them to speak in all the languages of the peoples represented gathered at Jerusalem because He planned Pentecost all the way back in the Feast of First Fruits. You tracking? He just reversed the curse. He didn't give them the ability to speak in all those languages. He scattered them and gave them different languages. Now at Pentecost, He brings them together and gives them Holy Spirit who will gift them to speak in the language of the nations gathered so that they will hear and believe 3,000 of them and go home and plant churches. That's awesome. That's what He does. What does this mean? Well... The curse of the fall as manifested at Babel has been broken. The curse is broken because Holy Spirit is here. And He has given a gift to people to preach the good news in languages they have previously not studied. And I'm convinced also to preach the good news in languages they do study and pick up quickly. We have one of those on the field. And that's all I can say. He's translating. He picked it up in a matter of a week. That's Holy Spirit. What does it mean? It also means cross-cultural work is not only wide open, but commanded and doable. We are to cross cultures. Babel divided men into cultures, languages, and is our mandate to cross those cultural barriers and speak in their language and work in their culture to make the good news of the kingdom known. And it's okay to say that in the public square. Don't hide that. 
It also means language is no longer a barrier. It also means culture is no longer a barrier. What do we do with that? Well, we are to be on mission, expanding the kingdom through the proclaiming of the message of the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Loving people, bringing that domain under the rule of Christ, peacekeeping, peacemaking, loving, preaching, teaching, discipling. It also gives us this marching order. We have zero excuses or barriers to prevent joining Holy Spirit on mission, helping bring all domains under the rule of Jesus Christ. Observation 5, what do we see? Verse 7, God can use anyone who will hear and obey. Look at verse 7, because something interesting is stated there, and it's easily overlooked. Verse 7 tells us, And they were amazed. Who's amazed? This multitude of people who've come together because this violent rushing wind has filled the city. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now what's interesting here is the Galileans were thought of as the rednecks of the day. They spoke with what they was considered an ignorant accent. As a matter of fact, you remember when Jesus is being tried and they asked, Peter, you're one of them, right? Because you also are a Galilean. His accent gave him away. It's like when I'm in a different part of the country or the world, people say, oh, you're from the South. No, duh, man. I mean, it's not, not like it's you know, not obvious, right? Yeah, my accent gives me away. A Galilean had a unique accent, and it was thought to be the ignorant, redneck accent of the day. Jesus, in his mercy, chose a bunch of northern Israeli hicks to bear the gospel. What does this mean? There is no barrier to being an instrument of God's grace except disobedience. I love the fact that God chooses to use hicks to make the gospel known. Matter of fact, Paul devotes a good portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to Proving how the gospel is not a matter of being a wise thinker, but a matter of the power of God because he chooses the weak to despise the strong. The unwise to despise the wise. Jesus put on display here that there's no barrier to being an instrument of God's grace except disobedience. Nobody in this room is exempt from being a supernatural instrument of God's grace to the nations. Except disobedience. God uses the weak and what is considered less by some to shame the strong and the worldly wise. So what do we do with that? Simply hear and obey. Simply hear and obey. Final observation, what do we see? What do we see? Well, we see here in verse 12 and 13, some will be attracted to the kingdom. Some will be repelled. Some are going to be attracted. Some are going to be repelled. Listen to verse 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed. Saying to one another, what does this mean? Some people are intrigued. What in the world are you talking about? Verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. That's the Bible's way of saying they're drunk. Now Peter's going to stand up and say, dude, it's just 9 o'clock. We haven't even begun to drink yet. That's Eric Croft gets to preach that next week. So it's 9 in the morning, man. We know. So some are intrigued. Some mock. You know what we're going to see? In Acts 17, Paul goes 
into the lion's den and he preaches the gospel. Some go, I want to hear you again. Some laugh at him. Just like they got here. You're going to see that over and over again. Some are intrigued. Some believe. Some think they're crazy. Listen, dear disciple maker in your domain. Some are going to be attracted to the kingdom and some are going to be repelled. And it's not up to you to make them attracted or make them repelled. It's your job to make Jesus big through preaching Jesus big and obeying his commands and bring that domain under the rule of Christ. That's all you have to do. It is not your job to convince, convict. That's Holy Spirit's job. He does that when you tell the story of the good news. And as they see you making peace, as they see you building bridges, as they see you fixing what's broken. The gospel of the kingdom, here's what it means, will either attract or repel. It's just what it does. The message will do the work. We don't have to help it. It's a great lesson for me to learn. I'm good at helping. Because I like to be a helper. Just got to tell the message. So what are we to do? Here are our last marching orders. Liberally spread the good news of Jesus' reign and rule among the peoples God has given you in your domain for them to repent and believe the good news. Liberally spread spread that message. Speak it clearly. Hold nothing back. Do it in love. Build bridges. Make peace. Fix what's broken. Tell them how it happens through Jesus' good news of His rule and His reign and His salvation for those who will believe. Trust the Spirit to do the awakening. We're going to see next week, Eric Croft's going to be preaching for you as I'm at Snowbird and we take some of our students up for a missions conference. This is going to be seen as 3,000 repent and believe. By the way, Peter doesn't preach 45 minutes. Really short sermon. And you're like, why don't you imitate him, you fool? I don't know. He preaches a short sermon. 3,000 repent and believe. Why? Because that's what Holy Spirit promised to do. Just like He did in the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, He does here at Pentecost in Jerusalem. He raises up an army of 3,000. Just like that. By the way, He's still doing that. He's still doing that. It's not the, the gospel's impotent. It may just be we're not telling it. Then finally, be ready to receive the fruit. One of the things you're going to learn as you look at this is this kind of ministry is messy. It's not ordered. You can't plan for it. They weren't equipped 120 people to disciple 3,000. We just get to Acts chapter 6 and see they got a mess on their hands because it's now a mixed, multi-ethnic congregation. And some of the Hebrews and the Gentiles are arguing over the fact that in the distribution, the widows of these are being left out. And like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. Me either. He saved a bunch of people. Let's have some deacons. Okay. I mean, seriously, that's kind of how it comes about. You can't manage a move of the Spirit. Our job is to be obedient and respond to Him. So be ready to receive the fruit. As He starts saving people, just disciple. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You're the disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. You come here and hear teaching. You should be in a radical life group and you're praying together and walking over sermon content together. You are being discipled. Now go make disciples. Make disciples. And teach them to make disciples by them just doing what you just did. And next thing you know, we're doing acts. Next thing you know, it's out of control. 
And we go and touch down Jesus, right? Because he pulled it off. How are we going to end our time? We're going to end our time in praise. Psalm 147 says, Praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. What happened in Acts 2 is no less present here today. And He is at work through this fellowship. He is at work through this fellowship around the world and in our town. And we're going to praise Him for it. Because it is good and fitting and right. We're commanded to do so. And so if you would, pray with me. And as these guys come to lead you, stand and sing. Praise Him for all the good He has done in giving us spirit and sending us to make disciples. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the powerful, powerful, powerful work of the gospel that is salvation for everyone who will believe. Lord, I pray that You would do that work in our midst today to release us from any hindrance to our praise of your great name may we not make a name for ourselves but may we make jesus big in our preaching our teaching our living our doing so lord i pray that you would empower that today it's a short time we have together to praise you to recount to you your excellencies and how well you do them i pray that you would empower your people to praise you Knock down any barrier to that this morning, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you do that? I ask that you would empower your people to be domain engagers and preachers of the gospel. Church planters, would you heal what is broken? Bind up the brokenhearted. Fix what needs to be fixed. Move where things need to be moved. Bring glory to bear on your people. Lord, we pray for empowerment. That as we walk out today, we would be empowered to speak and to live in such a way that kingdom is seen, the good news is clear. Lord, where there's anything broken, we ask you to fix it. Lord, it's just on my mind. So I want to ask you, fix what is broken. Fix what is broken, please. We pray, Father, that you would make us pliable to receive your fixing of us. Prepare our hearts to receive what you want to do to repair and fix what is broken. Would you please do that this morning? We trust you for that. And we pray that in that you'd be glorified.